When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Uh, I have no interest in in dropping back 50 times if we don't need to. I'd like to win the way we did last week if that's the way it can happen. I'll play whatever game is called, whatever game we need, and all that really matters is that we find a way at the end to win. And I'm not going to nitpick or look at any of the, the steps along the way to get there. Let's just win. That was Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins today at the podium discussing... The 10 throws that he had in week one, a very unique thing that has been written about around the league. And we will continue to discuss the offense today as the Vikings get ready to play the Packers on Sunday with our journeyman quarterback correspondent, Sage Rosenfels. What's going on, Sage? Not much. Just got home from a two-hour massage and uh, <laughs> got to do this radio show, go pick up my daughter from school, take her to dance and, uh, you know, make dinner at some point, maybe grab some groceries and... uh and do this radio show in the middle of it all. So all right, not, not a bad uh, That's a bad way Wednesday too much so information. I didn't yeah. need any of that. I definitely didn't need the massage visual. Well, you know, listen, I'm you know 41 years old. I uh, you know took a few hits in my day. It's nice to occasionally uh, you know get the kinks worked out or whatever. So I got some aches and pains, even though I was just a journeyman backup quarterback. You know, I got some <laughs> occasional neck issues or, or you know whatever. So uh, you know, I think it's part of my overall health. Uh, uh, it's how do I dress on my overall health, I guess. Well, I think, Sage, I'm going to leave the Robert Kraft joke on the table and just move forward uh, to a statistic. You didn't that leave I... it on the table because you actually <laughs> brought it up, which is not leaving it on the table. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's a, that's a way of saying it without saying it. Um, okay, let's try this again. Hi, Sage. I've got a statistic for you about football that I want to give you, and I want you to tell me what you think of it. So uh, I was going through before the show, Kirk Cousins, in games in which his defense has allowed 21 or more points, he has played uh, 35, 47 of these games in his career. I'd like you to guess how many he's won. One third of them. Uh, less than that. He is 12, 33, and 2 in games in which his defense gives up more than 21 points. Almost exactly a quarter. So... It, correct. Uh, a two fifty five winning percentage for Cousins when his defense does not step up. So, you know, I think 
uh, it's interesting to see the reactions to what the Vikings did the other day, and it says a lot that they got ahead and played great defense for that entire game. But then in his post-game press conference, Kirk Cousins says, hey, well, sometimes you got to win one fifty-two to 51 And what history would tell us is that he doesn't win games that are like that, uh, that he usually comes up short when his defense doesn't play well. So if they're going to be a really good team in the NFC North, they're going to have to win a lot more games like they did the other day than the shootouts that he was describing. So I, I talked about this on Monday. I said, you know, if there's going to be a game this year that he's going to have to be relied on. I mean, it just happens no matter how dominant somebody is uh, as a football team. Uh, at some point, uh, the quarterback's going to have to literally go out and sort of carry the team on his back and, and have a, a fourth quarter where they're down by 10 and you're, you're throwing the ball every play and they're making things happen and just moving the ball and, and, and come back. Uh, and he has not done that, you know, very often. But you know, if, I think I said the other day, if they can, uh, you know, win some games here this style and have a fairly good record, and as the season goes on, and then there's that game, and maybe it's you know Kansas City, uh, in, which I think is November. You know, maybe it's a, it's a good football team, and, and the Vikings are down, and Kirk does bring the team back, and that to me would be, you know, sort of a jump start. To, you know, if this team won the Super Bowl this year, we'd look to that game and said that's when the team truly believed in Kirk Cousins that he can bring them back when the other team is not, you know, really winning the game and in particular the defense. But I think that would be a moment you'd look back on. So we'll see how the season plays out so far. You know, it's interesting, and we talk about 2009 a lot on the show, but so far through one game, it almost reminds you of the Cleveland Browns game, which most people can remember who watched that, that 2009 season, the first game of the year. Favre, you know, had some high completion percentage and threw a lot of bubble screens to Percy Harvin to hand the ball off to Adrian, and I don't know if he threw 16 passes or something, and we won pretty easily, uh, sort of like the other day. So obviously throughout the year, they can't do that, and, you know, we, we all know 10 passes is not uh, normal, but, uh, you know, if we can keep it away from 40, I think the Vikings uh, win more games than not. So I did some analysis breaking down how few passes they actually could throw and still be a good team, and I think Mike Zimmer watched the Seattle Seahawks last year with just uh, stars in his eyes a little bit on their offense. And of course, the analytics people did not so much. And if I were in Seattle and had Russell Wilson, I personally would have him throw more often. But Kirk Cousins is not Russell Wilson. Last year, the Seattle Seahawks only threw 427 passes the whole year, which is still 27 per game. Um, so the Vikings are going to have to throw a lot more than 10 times. But I think that it tells you you can make the playoffs if you have this offense that's designed around running and efficiency when it comes to the yards per attempt. But Seattle last year to make the playoffs also had to be sixth in yards per rush, number one in turnover percentage, and they even were second in punt average and had some pretty good kicking from Seabass. Uh, Sebastian Janikowski last year. So if you're going to play like this and you can't win those games when your defense doesn't show up because that's at least the history on Kirk Cousins, I do think, Sage, that it's a little bit of a tightrope to walk. And usually teams with expensive quarterbacks and lots of talent, receivers, running backs, they don't do this. They don't try to play this style. So it's usually teams that are struggling at the quarterback position. So like Arizona last year is trying to hand off repeatedly to David Johnson or Washington with Adrian Peterson there last year. Usually they're just like, let's see what we can get out of Josh Johnson and Mark Sanchez and try to hand off and play defense. And it doesn't work because they're bad. But it's interesting to me that there's a couple of teams with the Vikings in Seattle 
who are trying to kind of uh, deploy this strategy that has worked for a handful of teams throughout history with a lot of talent on their roster. Yeah, well, they're not the only ones. I think there's a little bit of a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a, it's like the yin and the yang of, of how football de- uh, evolutes over time or, or evolutes. Is that even a word? How Probably it, uh, not. evolves Unlikely. over time. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, if you look at the Patriots last year, you know, they, when they played uh, against uh, Kansas City in the championship game, they went to, you know, two tight ends, fullback, boom, we're going to get six, we're going to get seven, we're going to get four, we're going to get five. And what happens is you slow the game down to fewer possessions. We used to do it when we played against Peyton Manning all the time when he was with the Colts, is if you can have a game where you only have eight or nine or ten possessions, uh, it'll keep the game close. If you have a game against a great quarterback uh, and there's 17 possessions, we don't think we can keep up in that sort of fast-break style. You play Kansas City, they've got ability to score points fast. And so the best way for them to not score points is to you know, offensively grind it out. And it may not be pretty, and it may not be a, it's a game of field position and defense, but grind it out. But you have to have a quarterback that can you know complete balls on third down, get first down when he has to to keep these drives alive you know uh, and it's a different style and I think uh, you know I watch some of these spread teams now and you know they don't always score a lot of points you know these teams are truly you know you watch Chicago I you know I said I do this radio show in Chicago uh, and you know, I watch I have to watch every Chicago offensive snap and obviously Mitchell Trubisky we talk about the most they are the most spread team in the NFL mm-hmm. and they couldn't do anything the other night they scored three points and you know the quarterback didn't have much success so that's been all this sort of rage because you know all these colleges are putting up a lot of yards and whatever but you know there is a place where you can win with the good defense and the running game and sort of slowing the game down so it never really gets out of hand and if you got a great defense uh, you know that's obviously the the Vikings sort of uh, go by the way their defense goes, and if they can run the ball even better, uh, and then the quarterback has to be super efficient, a word that you and I like to use on this show. So there is this brand. The question is, how far can it take you? Uh, and, and in the past, how far has you know this style gotten people to Super Bowls and won Super Bowls? At the end of the day, you do have to usually have a quarterback that is making the right plays at the right time, is clutch. And the question is, can Kirk Cousins be clutch when it really matters, when the Vikings really need him at some point or multiple times this season. Well, and that leads perfectly to where I wanted to take this was this week is Green Bay. And I would guess if you had asked Mike Zimmer to give you the game plan, he would tell you that they're going to want to run the ball a lot against uh, the Packers and keep the ball away from Aaron Rodgers and play safe and not have turnovers. But can it really work when you're going up against a team that has one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL still? Uh, even if Rodgers isn't quite as dangerous as he used to be, we've seen him light up the Vikings in the past uh, as recently. Really, the last time he was crazy good was 2016. Um, but now he's got a new offense and their defense is much better. And I'm having trouble figuring out how I should pick this game, Sage, so, how I should look at this one. Yeah, so, you know, I watched that Packers game last week against Chicago, and, and you know, all but all you know, Aaron was doing it, and where they had success, and, you know, sort of like Chicago, the Packers in years past have lined up in shotgun for the most part, have been, you know, Aaron runs the show, and of course Aaron wants to throw the football. They call a lot of passes. All right, then you actually come come to this year, and they were still in shotgun a lot in that last game, I think more than I thought, and they didn't have as much success, I don't think, as when they were when Rodgers was under center. By the way, the running back, I believe, leads led the NFL in rushing last year as far as yards per carry, just didn't have a lot of attempts. 
like five and a half or something like that. Yeah, Aaron Jones. And the yep. big one of the biggest plays of that game was a post route off of a play action uh, uh, concept. You know, when, when he faked the tailback, good hard play action, Rogers under center, and boom, the post route comes open, and Aaron almost never misses those. And he has time in the pocket. That's the thing. I mean, he if you give him time, he really can make magic happen, throw the ball deep down the field, and has great touch on the deep stuff. But they haven't done that as much as late. They've been, you know, Aaron and shotgun and spreading it out and throwing the ball over. I'm thinking the Packers might, because, again, it's like that It's that sort of Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Kubiak thing. I think they might get to more traditional offense. And Aaron may not put up the, you know, 5,000 yards and, you know, tons of attempts, but uh, he could be very, very dangerous. Like when you see him rolling out of the pocket or in the pocket with play action with plenty of time, you know, you can see him doing a lot of really good things and, you know, having that run game, getting a lot of second and twos and second and threes and knowing the coverage you're going to get. Uh, he could be very dangerous by throwing fewer passes for the Green Bay Packers. So, uh, Sage, a joke that I have made on the station here seems to be gaining a little bit of steam about Aaron Rodgers, and I want your opinion on this. So I joked over the summer, we did a show where we asked what the boldest take that might be true, that might come true, that you could come up with. And mine was Aaron Rodgers is washed. He's washed up. He's never going to be the same. He's just okay now. He's not great. That was my bold opinion that could possibly come true, but probably not. It's gaining steam. Sage, uh, Michael David Smith of Pro Football Talk tweeted this today. I think Tom Brady and Drew Brees have made people overestimate how long quarterbacks typically stay in their primes. People say Aaron Rodgers is only 35. He's still got a lot of good years ahead of him. Many quarterbacks are past their primes in their mid-30s. And that comes with him quote-tweeting an article called Latest Revelations Make Aaron Rodgers' Contract Look Like a Mistake. So uh, Aaron Rodgers washed seems to be um, getting to be internet popular. What do we think? Washed. So I, I think that you know as a player gets older, uh, you know they have to have more of a support system. You look at Tom Brady now. Look at I mean last year again they they were a run the football team last year. I, I saw that fullback Devlin number forty six with the huge neck roll. Love he em. was consistently in the game on first and second down. Uh, and they were, you know, and Sony Michelle, they're running back. That's the reason they drafted him. They drafted a running back in the first round that's more of a tailback than a receiver. So they knew this is the offense we're going to have to have. But, but Tom is clutch, right? He is that word. He is clutch. Whether mm-hmm. it's on third downs more often than that, where it's in fourth quarter at the end of the first half where they score more points than anybody, where it's the end of the game where it seems like they score more points than anybody, you know, on the clutch situations, he almost always comes through. And, you know, the question is, you know, can, can Aaron – you know, be that type of guy with maybe an offense that he doesn't have to be clutch on first and second down, but can he be clutch more on third down, be more efficient, uh, I, I think is the term. You know, again, maybe some of his numbers go down, but he and his team have a better season. So they have the running back. They've got this style of offense with this with the new head coach, Matt LaFleur, and now it looks like they have a defense that's pretty dang good under Mike Patton over there, You know, the, the Cleveland Browns head coach for a couple of years. It's, I believe it's the second year there for him. Uh, Petten and I know Kyle Shanahan, I'm guessing LaFleur also worked together uh, at Cleveland back in those days. So these guys have known each other. He kept his job. And that defense looked very, very good uh, against what I think is a, a pretty tough uh, Chicago offense a lot of times who spreads the ball out. They got a lot of weapons, and, and they really gave that to him pretty good. So they've got a type of team around where maybe – Less can be relied on Aaron Rodgers, uh, but yet he could still be clutch when it has to be, and therefore then worth you know the thirty thirty five million dollars whatever he's making every year. So I want to talk more about the defense uh, in our next segment because this revamped Green Bay defense is a unique feel for people. They're not used to hearing 
Green Bay's defense is dangerous, but Mike Zimmer talked about that a little bit today. And also there's an injury that I'm not sure whether it will affect the Vikings or not. Some people are actually saying it could be good news, but I'll tell you about that in our next segment. With sticking with Aaron Rodgers, he's been sacked, Sage, kind of an incredible amount of times over the last couple of years where you would not expect Aaron Rodgers, somebody who is mobile and athletic at his best in his career. I mean, he was an escape artist last year. This is nuts. 49 times sacked for a lost amount of yardage of 353 yards lost, which is outrageous. I mean, easily the most he's ever lost in his career, and he's always taken a lot of sacks. And then in the first game, and it's a Bears defense, but the Vikings defense is also good, he gets sacked five times for 37 yards lost. And this is the area where I think Aaron Rodgers is not able to be efficient enough anymore to make up for that. Like he used to have nine yards per attempt and it was crazy because he could just throw it down the field and do anything he wants. But against Chicago, 6.8 yards per attempt over the last few years, he has not cleared seven and a half, which is usually that sort of marker for the better quarterbacks. And, and that, and that's where I see just not the same player is his efficiency has gone way down over the last three, four years. Well, again, you know, as he gets older, he he will be a little bit less mobile. So they're going to have to have a different style of offense. That's not him hanging on to the football and trying to run around and make plays. I, I believe even with that stat of forty nine stats, uh, and you can probably look look this up pretty quickly with your pro football focus. But I believe a couple of his offensive linemen are generally ranked fairly high. You're correct as far as like yes. pass protection. Their left tackle, you know, Beluga. I feel like they're usually ranked, you know, not at the bottom for a quarterback that has as athletic. Great at buying time and yet get sacked 49 times. So to me, if you want to look like what, what's winning football versus not winning football, whatever that is, which is, you know, everyone's trying to find what is that winning formula. My guess is Aaron not hanging on to the football forever uh, and trying to make things happen would be more beneficial as far as wins are concerned for the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, quick game stuff where you get the ball out of his hands and you, you let him manipulate defenses. But, you know, get get completions. Get rid of the football. You don't have to be hero all the time. That's one thing Favre was so great at, I thought, in 2009 was, man, he was so good at getting the ball out of his hands quick. And sort of like a hot potato sometimes, and, and not hold on to it and try to you know forever and ever and ever, uh, but to you know get the ball in his hands and get the ball in the receiver. If you watch Tom Brady, I remember there was an NFL Films, maybe it was an ESPN thing a couple of weeks ago, and they were reviewing uh, the Bosa that's in uh, San Diego, and he was trying to pass rush Tom Brady last offseason. He was like wired up or whatever. And he was like, man, Tom gets rid of the football before you can even get close to getting to yes, him. Yep. That ball is out. He finds that matchup. He finds who's the one-on-one, and he gets him the football. Like, I can't even get there. That's exhausting for defensive ends. And he doesn't get sacked very much. Dan Marino didn't get sacked very much either with the quick release and whatever. So I, I think that is a huge stat that uh, that the Packers need to figure out is fewer sacks for, for uh, their quarterback and you know get the ball out of his hands. I mean, you know he's going to be accurate. He's got to get the ball out of his hands and quit trying to be hero all the time. So to your question... Pro Football Focus ranked Green Bay's pass blocking number one in the NFL last year, and he still got sacked 49 times, and he also still threw the ball away 59 times, which was 19 more than the next highest quarterback in terms of throwaways, which is so Jared if Goff. So he, if he can't understand that, like if I'm Matt LaFleur or I'm the general manager, uh, and, and you go to him with this stat and say, can we talk about this? If he doesn't see the negative of that, that's all on Aaron, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. If you understand, like, I am hurting the football team the longer I try to hold on to the football. I'm taking a lot of sacks, which puts this in probably second long, third long situations that are just drive killers. 
uh, this idea changed my style. If he can't do that, that's completely on Aaron and, and his maybe stubbornness or pride or his ego or whatever. My guess is that he can. My guess is that he can. Uh, you know, understand that you know him doing fewer of those. If he gets sacked eight times by the Vikings this weekend, you know they need to have a, a you know what they call a come to Jesus meeting and really figure out how are we going to win football games if this is how you're going to play. Yeah, and when you factor in the yards per attempt with the sacks, they were the 20th most efficient passing game in the NFL last year, which uh, just isn't going to fly, right? Like Kansas City was number one, uh, right up there. New England, the Chargers, the Rams, the Saints, all the best teams have efficient passing games, and the Pack just really weren't because of all the sacks that Rodgers took, which I think plays right into the hands of the Minnesota Vikings, who had 28 combined pressures on Matt Ryan in Week 1, and Everson Griffin looked great, and Daniil Hunter was a monster. Daniil Hunter was tied with Zadarius Smith for number one in the NFL last week for the most pressures put on the quarterback. So, um, you know, I, I look at this as even though Green Bay has a decent offensive line, if not a good offensive line, this is a huge advantage for the Vikings. And if you're picking Minnesota, this would be the reason you do it. Like you ask, well, can they really win a game like they did against Atlanta against Green Bay? If they sack Aaron Rodgers, then the answer is yes. Yeah, that plays in their hands, and then you're in third and long situations, and Aaron's still trying to make things happen and and be a magician back there, and occasionally, you know, Harrison Smith will come up with a football or two. So, uh, this is really interesting. This early in the season, uh, the Vikings playing against a team that both teams know each other extremely well, and you know, him with the new system and us sort of finding his, you know, a lot of people finding his faults, I guess, from some of their failures from years past and see if he is going to change. And, and this early in the season against the Vikings, that again, he should know all these blitzes. These double A gap things, they should have an answer uh, and good answers for them. And it's not Aaron just holding on to the football and trying to make something happen. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, well, I think this game will be pretty enlightening as to maybe how the Vikings and or the Packers, uh, you know, win the rest of the season. All right, Sage, let's take a break. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a different feel from the Green Bay Packers. And then at the end of the show, as we always do on Wednesday, Wednesday, the journeyman quarterback of the week. I had to go back for mine, Sage, a long way to find a journeyman who was starting at some point for the Green Bay Packers because of uh, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. But I've got a, a great name to bring up at the end of the show. So we will come back, talk about the Green Bay defense, how it matches up with the Vikings offense. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride. The never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. But you have to block them. It's kind of day one stuff, you know. Whether you, you know, you got some. They signed some really good players on the edge there that are pretty stout. It starts with blocking them in the pass game and in the run game. You know, they're going to try to defeat blocks all game long. So that's where that's where it starts and really where it ends. Uh, but you can certainly do some things schematically to try to help help your guys sustain those blocks and, and be able to get you know the angles that you need. That's really the coach's job, the game plan, and put that together, and then our job to execute it. And then uh, you know, my focus is really on the outside, how we can win and, and get those players opportunities to make place that was minnesota vikings quarterback kirk cousins matthew collar sage rosenfels back here on purple daily so you watched uh, mitch trubisky's performance against green bay and i think a lot of people's takeaway from that sage is that trubisky is trash and should stop trying to play quarterback forever 
Um, well, was that your takeaway, or was it the Green Bay Packers being good at football on the defensive side for the first time maybe since uh, Gilbert Brown was their nose tackle? I don't think Trubisky's trash. Uh, he can be very good. There's some things that he does that are sort of eye-poppingly good, and, and you know, when he does throw the ball accurately, which he's not super accurate, uh, and he's athletic and, and he does a lot of good things. Now, having said that, it seems to me their offense is – Sometimes very simple. Sometimes it looks so complicated I don't even know what's going on. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to say it's not well coached, but it's sort of a mess sometimes. And, you know, I don't know what the reads are. Like, it's it's not an easy one to sort of look at and go, I know exactly what he's supposed to do here. Uh, and I don't always love some of the, you know, the technique of some of the things that they do, you know, and, and things. So, it's a, it's again, it's a, it's a different style of offense. It's a spread, which you would think completely relies on the quarterback to do, you know, so many things in the passing game and protections, and they're empty a lot, or they you know, rarely have, like, a tight end a lot of times. I mean, so you're very spread out. That puts a lot on your quarterback, and he's not that guy, at least not yet. Uh, at least not only his accuracy, but sometimes his decision-making, um, and those types of things. And so, uh, you know, they drafted David Montgomery. I thought they were going to line up a little bit more under center and, and a little bit, you'd be like, let's just run the football on these guys. And, and they tried to do that some with Montgomery, and he had some good runs. They got three running backs they use. Tariq Cohen's basically a slot receiver at this point. I think he lined up like 25 of his 30 snaps in the slot uh, at some you know, point. So they're they're an interesting football team, and when they're not good, Man, you can sort of embarrass the, the Chicago Bears, but when they're good, they got they do a lot of things. I just don't think Trubisky's you know great at any of them yet. There's not something like you know these are the types of plays that man he is really really good at, knows inside and out, and understands protection. Sometimes sometimes guys are going free or the occasional run of play into what looks like a bad look to me. So uh, I'm not a big fan of their style of football, and Trubisky is not excelling in it uh, you know so far through a year and. Uh, in one game. Okay, so I do want to focus on Green Bay's defense, but let me ask you this as a quarterback. Why can't Trubisky throw left? I mean, it's crazy. His accuracy numbers are absolutely horrendous when he's trying to throw to his left. And he made one good throw the other night to his left, but then he threw the pick in the end zone where it looked like he missed an easy read. And I, I know we're going back a little bit to la- like last Thursday, but in trying to figure out whether I should give Green Bay's defense a ton of credit or whether it was Trubisky being horrendous, it kind of is mind-blowing that a starting quarterback in the NFL cannot throw to one side of the field. He Well, and, and some of it may be his throwing motion. He really does drop it down, and he's fairly accurate uh, when he drops it down sort of three-quarters and throws to his right. Like, he makes some really good throws that way. Uh, he doesn't have great mechanics, I don't think, and, and that's part of his accuracy issues. He has what I'd call, uh, you know, he has... Um, Feet with anxiety in the pocket. People talk about his good feet in the pocket. I'm like, man, have a little bit of a rhythm in your in your footwork. It should be one hitch here, two hitches here, three hitches to my check down. Like there should be a little rhythm in the passing game. Timing. I mean, that's why you do all that stuff in the offseason training camp is, you know, and if no one's out there, I'm gonna take you know seven steps, I'm gonna take one hitch, I'm gonna throw the ball to this spot, and you're gonna be there. Uh, and you know those type of things. He takes, you know, three hitches on throws that in my opinion should be one hitch throws. That that corner route. He came back, and, and uh, I believe he's like the second read in the thing. Uh, but if there's usually that play, that corner route is not there. 
he took three hitches and forced it there. Uh, you know, Andy wasn't accurate. So like, he does these things to me that are sometimes undisciplined. And again, like his throwing motion and uh, taking too, too much, uh, uh, too many hitches and these things, take, holding on to the football a little bit too long. Uh, he needs to create some rhythm in his passing game so he can be a more accurate quarterback. If you look at the guys who've got great rhythm, it is Tom Brady and it is Drew Brees and, and those guys. They're very accurate. And some of that reason is they've got rhythm in their passing game and they throw balls on time and they're not late because if you're late, those windows close down fast or the players get to where you, they catch the ball but they're out of bounds. That happened a couple times in that football game and that's when a quarterback is late. Well, I mean, he was the best quarterback in that draft class, though, so there was nothing Man, that Chicago could have done. The Bears have been looking for a great quarterback for a long time, and even when they won the Super Bowl in 85, they, you know, McMahon was not Dan Marino, and uh, they have tried, and they have drafted, and they have traded, and they have done this and done that. And, and they end up with Chicago. the worst one of the three that were yeah, drafted the first yeah, yeah. round. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Holmes, man, I mean, it's like it's a, it's a real bummer they, they missed that guy. So, I mean, we'll see if he progresses and gets better and those types of things. But I was expecting a little bit more improvement from like Because I saw these things last year with him. I was expecting, okay, a full off season, and he'll be working on these things uh, with Matt Nagy, with his quarterback coaches. But some of those same uh, uh, sort of bad fundamentals, poor fundamentals, throwing, the actual throwing motion and his footwork stuff, are, are some of those issues are still there from last year. So then conclusion being that Trubisky was bad against Green Bay, and he did have some opportunities to beat them, and he just didn't get it done. So He wasn't I, great, but I do also say this. I think this Green Bay defense is pretty legit. Well, that's yeah, how much game. was. Well, that's the thing I'm asking. How much was Trubisky, how much was Green Bay defense? Because they did add a lot of talent. Uh, Green Bay's defense got a lot of good players, and their D-line uh, is pretty stout, and they uh, were harassing the quarterback. They were bringing a lot of various blitzes. They were playing good coverage. There wasn't you know gaping holes in the defense. I, I believe this is a pretty well-taught defense. It's got some really good players. I think there are probably a lot of younger guys that just haven't become you know superstars yet. But as you know, the year goes on. You know, I think some of these names will start becoming maybe not household names, but you know, names that everyone knows in the NFC North. And so, we'll, you know, we'll see as the season goes on. It's sort of a new football team over there. And you know, through one game, whether it's Chicago Bears offense or not, that defense looked pretty dang good uh, in their opening debut. Yeah, and I think that if you're the Vikings, you're going into this game, uh, you should be a little concerned about, if not really concerned, about the way you pass protected the other day, and now having to face off with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and a defense that has reworked itself. And that's where I wanted to bring up the injury report for today. Pat Elfline was not practicing for the Vikings today, not even participating in the warm-ups or anything. So he clearly suffered some type of injury the other day against Atlanta. And there are some people on the interwebs, Sage, who are saying this actually might be better if they play Brett Jones instead of Pat Elfline. And considering the last year and a half, I have a really tough time disagreeing with that, that if Brett Jones plays, he isn't as quick as Pat Elfline, but uh, I'll go with what Mike Zimmer called him, a squatty body who could just sit in there and pass protect at least, that he's got like a low center of gravity. And Man, he's a you wonder why protector. offensive linemen sometimes have problems when they're done playing football with like, you know, with body image issues. <laughs> Coach calls you have a squatty body, right? Well, I mean, at least, yeah, we don't have that from our offensive lineman, Alex Boone. He's, uh, he's 6'8", no. 290, and he's, he's shredded. But yeah, I can see where, you know, uh, Jones. It's not, the best, Brett, it's not the best description of. Uh, yeah, Brent Jones might take I will that say poorly. this, right? So, so they <laughs> signed back Brent Jones, uh, uh, was it yesterday or today, yes. maybe? And it's, so it's his fifth year, and I've seen teams do this where they like a guy, they don't think anyone else is going to pick them up if they release them, 
But the nice thing is, is that they could always sign them back if there's an injury issue. Uh, and, and they, and, and it's week to week. His contract, I believe, is not guaranteed. Yep. Is that correct? Because he wasn't yep. on the week one roster. Exactly. So this allows, which this is sort of almost, just so shady, but. Well, yes. this is the, everybody does this. Everybody. It's, it's the business. And he's like probably living in a hotel. Uh, in the area, and that's how it's going to be week to week until they, you know, figure it out, right? So, uh, you know, he has a chance to uh, come in, and, and if he plays this week, and let, let's see what he can do. He does have experience; at least he does have experience with these other offensive linemen. So, it's almost like uh, you know, signing an extra guy who knows the offense well. When I was in Houston, again in this style, we had a kid named Mike Brizel who was on the uh, practice squad for two, maybe even three years. And, you know, he was never really uh, active or whatever. And, and, and we had a guy get hurt, and we actually trusted him more than who his backup was because his backup didn't play well in the times that he had played, you know, that season when the other guy was hurt. So when the guy actually went on IR and broke his leg, we signed up Mike Brazell from the practice squad, and he knew the offense, just hadn't really done it in real-life games and in, in, in regular season games, and played extremely well, wanted to have a nice probably seven- or eight-year career, uh, you know, send a nice deal with Oakland for the second at the end of his career or whatever. But, uh, you know, sometimes those guys who know the offense, who know those guys around them, they can come in uh, and he's fresh and, 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 and uh, you know, all those things. And, and he already knows the offense. And maybe he'll play better. Maybe he'll play, he'll play better in this scheme. I would not be surprised if Brett Jones played better just because he's a decent pass protector. And when you look at his pro football focus numbers for pass protection, he's decent throughout his career in comparison to Elfline, who hasn't been anywhere close to decent since his rookie season, which I understand is in part because of injuries, and we brought that up a number of times, but I think it's a hover-the-hand-over-the-panic-button situation when somebody has to move positions, which Alex Boone explained yesterday about why that's really hard for a center to go to guard, and then he, in week one, gets smoked by Grady Jarrett a couple of times, and one of them was on a strip sack that... This time, the Vikings were lucky enough to pick up, and they're killing Atlanta, so it doesn't matter, and no one remembers it. But uh, if that's going to happen against Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers is over on the other side and they have uh, still the ability to put up points on you, I think that uh, that that should be a major concern going into this game. They only threw 10 passes before. They dropped back 11 times. And five of them were pressured the other day against Kirk Cousins. Not good is, at all. That is not good. That is not good. And, and we we spoke on uh, Monday about if you looked at the strengths and weaknesses of that football game and gave everybody a grade, you know, run defense, pass defense, linebackers, the special teams, whatever you want to do, run offense, uh, the, the receivers for the opportunities that they had, you would say pass protection was the lowest grade on the football team. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, you can't have five pressures. In particular, again, it's not Russell Wilson back there. So that has to be uh, you know something this team improves on. A, a bit, I would say a very big level of concern for this offensive line and for this uh, offensive coaching staff and this whole football team is you know this this team again. We talk about it someday. Maybe Cousins is going to have to win some football games. Well, if it's five pressures out of ten, so he's going to throw he's going to twenty five pressures in the football game. Mm-hmm. That's not good. That is the, you're not going to get it done if he has to throw it forty or fifty times in the game if half the ball half the passes are are pressure. So this is a uh, a real issue, and it's uh, they got a pretty good match again this week, which they will every week. But this week they really pressured uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky pretty uh, pretty well in Chicago. Uh, you know, last week. I should mention that Dakota Dozier might get the start at left guard. He has been um, somebody who's filled in quite a bit throughout the preseason and things like that at multiple positions. So it might not be Brett Jones. Those are the options potentially. So he could be in there. Uh, all right. Let me ask you this, Sage. 
What is it like to play at Lambeau Field? I really enjoyed covering last year's tie because it's just, you know, football madness, and who wouldn't want to be there for that? Um, But that place has something to it. I mean, you you park in a field next to it if you're a reporter, and then you walk through the field up to the stadium, and there is something about that as you're walking up to the stadium looking at it going, man, this is Lambeau actual field right now, you know? And and it just has something about it. And the, the game last year was so wild, and the Vikings come back in the second half, and it looked like this was going to be Kirk Cousins' welcome to the Minnesota Vikings franchise, you're the guy type of game, and they end up with a tie. And, it, he, play, and he played extremely well. That's he, when we everyone got very excited about Kirk last year. He... It wasn't like, you know, they tied because Kirk played so poorly. I mean, he was making plays and threw a couple unbelievable throws to uh, Adam Thiel in that game. A touchdown, I recall, at the end, that was a great play. Uh, and so I think everyone got really excited. Like, hey, let's, you know, let's rely on Kurt more. And at the end of the day, that was, you know, I think that was a little more of a fabrication. I don't call it fabrication, but it wasn't uh, exactly a little more mirage. It wasn't exactly re- reality to do that consistently and, and win a football game. Yeah, no, you're right. And getting into shootouts clearly was not something that was going to work out for A lot of fun to watch, though. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it, 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 no, absolutely. It was a great game. It was an excellent game. It just... Um, in that game in particular, it was almost like Cousins did not fold under the pressure and he stepped up and showed that there, that guy is in there somewhere and he did it at Lambeau Field and I thought it was kind of like his defining game early and in setting sort of the narrative assuming they were going to be much better, we were all saying, look, this is why you got him, this is why you went and got yep. him. Uh, but I, if anything, he proved that he can do that at Lambeau Field. So He can do it, he can do it at Lambeau Field and was that game uh, like a national televised game? I, I, can't, I feel uh, like it was just an afternoon been. game. It was know, an afternoon back. game, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, he did show that. Now, at the end of the day, looking back, well, Green Bay firing their coach at the end of the season because they you know, weren't that good, right? So he didn't end up doing it against a really good football team. You know, if that team would end up was the Patriots or something, that would be the, the real wild moment. But he did do it at Green Bay. Uh, he, so he does prove that he has that in him, and uh, he might need to do it again this week. But uh, I got a feeling it's going to be a you know much different game, a game that you know both teams are in the maybe the twenties or maybe even the teens. Give me a little more of a grinded out football game. So you know we will see how it is. But you know playing in Grambo Field, sort of the way you start out this conversation was talking about Lambo and sort of the magic of you know pulling up to it for the first time, driving just through a, a regular neighborhood, uh, and then there it is. What's neat about it for me is when I first went there in two thousand and one. Uh, shoot, today is 9-11. I go into a story talking about I, I was lucky enough to play in Green Bay the Monday night. Um, I guess it would be a week and a half after 9-11. So, you know, the first Monday night football game, I was in, playing in Washington, and we played at Green Bay, and uh, it was the old Lambeau Field. And it was, you know, and then over the different times I went back to over my career, um, it changed. And, you know, one time we were in a uh, – like a trailer, basically. That was the locker room. They put all these trailers together and sort of created a locker room because they were, you know, redoing that whole stadium. So it still is a special place to play. It's a little bit different than it was in 2001, but they've made it look old and it's, you know, has the same feel to it. I'm sure just better and more efficient and all those things on the inside. Uh, but being on that field in a lot of ways the same, there's a lot more, uh, uh, you know, luxury boxes sort of up top, actually. 
uh, which is great because the best seats in the house are still just the regular seats, uh, you know, in the stands. And really, I don't think the, the luxury boxes are better seats. They're just further away. And, you know, you, you, it's, it's, you, you sort of feel like, um, you know, at the Roman Coliseum in a way, like you're the center of everything. Uh, it is the sort of complete focal point of everything. And, and the people in the stands, you know, look just like everyday Americans and a lot of times some of the best seats. Uh, it's not always the richest people. So there is something special about that because you don't see as much of the sort of the corporate aspect, in particular when you're close to the field and you're on the field and you're looking to stand in those first 20 rows. It doesn't look like everyone's a super white-collar job person. Uh, it looks like, you know, where I, I grew up in Iowa, so it looks like, uh, you know, sort of that, I guess. And, and it's a different field than going and playing, you know, with the New York Giants and that, you know, those seats are, are a little different in, 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 in those types of teams. And so there is something also special. Uh, there's a lot of things that are special about playing in Green Bay. And uh, from my perspective, coming from Buffalo, usually tailgates don't look that friendly and calm. You know, walking through them, and in Buffalo, someone we jumping into a flaming table. It really does happen. It's not just a couple of videos that you've seen. People do crazy stuff there. Uh, and and in Philadelphia, Judd and I were walking through the parking lot seeing people throwing beers at Vikings fans. And here's Green Bay where it's Vikings fans hanging out, making brats with Green Bay fans. And even though there's the rivalry here, uh, it's kind of a, a, a fun atmosphere out there that maybe you don't see in every aggressive NFL yeah, city. Yeah, listen, it's, uh, it's absolutely the way it should be. I think I think it's a really healthy rivalry. I think Midwesterners, for the most part, are pretty uh, uh, calm-headed about everything. I got Iowa, Iowa State this weekend in Ames College Game Day, and I promise you, there's not going to be a bunch of beer cans thrown at people in fights. <laughs> like I think it'll be a bunch of people from the Midwest, obviously mostly Iowa, enjoying you know the one one day a year where they get to go around their football team at the end of the day. You know, ho- hopefully both teams do well, but. There's not sort of that hate there. It's just you know, it's a great rivalry to have. You get to talk trash to your, uh, you know, coworker or your spouse or whatever it might be, and uh, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. So it's it's I think it's one of the better rivalries. Uh, you know, the, the whole sort of Wisconsin Minnesota thing. It's sort of fun for a Midwestern, uh, you know, thing. I don't think Iowa like had an out state like a state they actually had a rivalry with. I will say this: <laughs> one thing that both Iowa and Iowa State people can agree on is our disliking of, of Nebraska football. So <laughs> that is a, a thing that brings us all together. And, and I'm guessing Minnesota and Wisconsin people all have something they agree on, too. I was surprised when I moved here how many Packers fans are in Minnesota. I live across the street from a Target, basically. And I went into the Target to get, I don't know, you know... Um, some, something for the house. Yeah, and, and you I walked was, out with a $100 bill. That's well, just the way it goes. You, well, of course. But I was like, why are there Aaron Rodgers jerseys in this Target in Minnesota? Like, what is going on here? And then I've come to learn that there are many, many Packers fans. Uh, so it does it does make it for a more cordial rivalry than many. Well, um, and when, they're, you know, when they're one of the old teams, you know, the Steelers, that's not a big city, and Green Bay is not a big city. I mean, obviously Chicago and, like, New York are, but they're these sort of – uh, you know, there's a neat, neat aspect of the smaller markets having, you know, but been around for basically the beginning of the National Football League and the sport. And, you know, they're one of those teams and they have a not just national brand, but, you know, really even international brand. And uh, there is something a little bit different playing for certain football teams. And Green Bay is definitely one of them. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, that's a different one, too, where your name recognition, if you're a really good player, goes well beyond the region that you play in. All right, Sage, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do it every Wednesday, Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. I had to go back a ways, but I think I've got a gem to bring up for the Green Bay Packers. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. 
North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. 2.50 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. We've been talking about it all hour. The Packers revamped defense. Here's what Zimmer had to say about it today in his press conference. All those guys, uh, the two Smiths, the two outside linebackers, are both really good players. Had a lot of pressures last week. You know, I like the safety that they drafted in the first round. Uh, the corner they took a year ago, Alexander, was a guy, another guy that we liked. Very competitive kid. So uh, I think they, you know, they added the safety from Chicago, Amos. You know, I think they've had a lot of players. They gave a lot of different looks last week. Uh, play with a lot of DBs. So you know, we'll just have to see what they do against us. So, Vikings fans, let us know your thoughts on that defense. The Vikings offense will see this weekend over at Score North on Twitter, at SKO North on Twitter. The countdown to the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon weekend is on. It's not too late to sign up for the TC 10K, TC 5K presented by Fredrickson & Byron and the Medtronic TC family events featuring races for kids of all ages. To learn more or sign up, visit tcmevents.org or visit scorenorth.com keyword marathon. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Each Wednesday, Sage Rosenfels and myself take a look at a journeyman quarterback from the opposing team. And with this one, Sage, you got to work hard for it to find journeyman quarterbacks who played for the Green Bay Packers because, I mean, they usually didn't play if you were the backup to Brett Favre or uh, Aaron Rodgers. But I've got a gem. Well, I will say this. If you went through the list of all the quarterbacks, you know, every team is going to have, you know, two quarterbacks behind the starter, and then those sort of swap out every once in a while. Maybe one stays for three or four or five years, but then, you know, that's always sort of a revolving door, right? So there's plenty of backups, but not plenty of backups that even started a game in Green Bay and maybe had that, you know, shining moment that we talk about uh, or, you know, had, I guess, long cruise because they never got on the field because of Favre and Rodgers, right? So there are some guys, can I say, as we go back through there, at least more recent, a couple things. Brett Hundley, obviously people remember him. I ran into him in Paris this last uh, uh, spring with my son. I had a nice little conversation with him. Yeah. (laughs) You ran into Brett Hundley in Paris. He was standing on like a wall that I think was sort of like they didn't want you to stand on it uh, because there was like a you know a little fence there, and he got out and then he had somebody like taking his picture and I think he was doing the deal as if he was like you know putting his uh, finger like on top of the um, oh yes yeah of the, uh, the Eiffel what, Tower call, just the Eiffel like Tower right, right? so whatever it. you know and you know, I, I was like I recognize that guy and I'm like oh that's Brett Hundley so we started chatting we actually had the same. Uh, agency in chicago so got to meet him uh and obviously seneca wallace played there for uh, a little bit and and i'll probably see him this weekend in ames uh for our big game seneca is going to roll into town 
Um, and then there, there's many others, but uh, I know there's one that you really want to talk about uh, in particular. I know. Uh, we're going to have to start keeping a list. Jonathan, this is your job. Of all the random people who come up that Sage knows for no apparent reason, ran into, was chatting with. I mean, Brett Hundley is pretty random. And the words, I'm going to run into Seneca Wallace this week. Well, there you go. There you go. You know, and, and you know, Craig, Craig Nall and I had a cup of coffee <laughs> together Nall. in Houston. We signed him yes. for three or four games, I think. Still follow him on Instagram. So he does some of the quarterback training <laughs> stuff uh, uh, for the Elite 11 guys. So, yeah, you know, it's... That's it's a quarterback uh, journeyman quarterback lifestyle. That's, it's the way it goes. But you want to talk about the great Mike Tomzak? Yes. Is that correct? In 1991, Mike Tomzak. This is obviously before the Brett Favre era. Started a grand total of seven games for the Green Bay Packers. Threw 11 touchdowns, nine picks. Came away with 124 yards per game and a 72 quarterback rating. He had much better journeyman uh, sort of uh, you know times with other people. I mean, he played for Chicago as a backup, and with Pittsburgh, he got to start in 1996 and actually went 10 and five with that team. So there's his shining moment of actually having a good season with shining the 19. Season, uh, yeah. yeah, shining, shining season. season went 10 and 5 for his entire career Mike Tomzak as horrendous as it went in Green Bay going 2 and 5 as a starter he went 42 and 31 that's even better than the uh, journeyman bar which is winning half of your games and the fun factoid from his wikipedia sage is that he was an offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Power of the Arena Football League i believe now defunct well, you know, I disagree with you on what I think a real interesting uh, nugget about Mike Tomzak is. For one, you know, I grew up sort of watching the, the Chicago Bears more than the Vikings. My dad was from Chicago, so I sort of knew him as the backup quarterback uh, uh, in Chicago for the most part. Played some. Uh, obviously, they had McMahon on that team. Even had Doug Flutie on that team. And, you know, Tomzak was a rookie. And, you know, then you saw him sort of move around in, in Green Bay and, and Pittsburgh. I remember the, his time in Pittsburgh. Amazingly, he played that long. He had 88 touchdowns and 106 picks. I mean, his play wasn't great, but he held on for a long time. He threw for 16,000 yards, which is about four full seasons, so he played his fair share. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing about him is not where he was an offensive coordinator for an arena team. It was that he did play. He was a rookie on the Super Bowl team, mm-hmm. and he did play uh, in the Super Bowl not as necessarily a quarterback, but he was on the kickoff unit. Really? They I did not know They threw him in at the that. end of the game in the fourth quarter. It says, during the fourth That's quarter of the Bears' this. 46-10 win over the New England Patriots on the kickoff unit where he was penalized for a face mask <laughs> penalty. That's fantastic. I, I will one-up you on his Chicago time, and then we've got to wrap up. He was... Uh, in the Chicago Bears famous Super Bowl shuffle video, mimicking playing guitar. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna maybe, uh, you know, we should put that out there on Twitter or something. Like, what what instrument was uh, Mike Tomzak playing in the Super Bowl yes, shuffle? If the, anybody the guitar, knows that, sounds like you here. win so, nothing. Yeah, so I, I think that aspect, you know, I mean, that is, you, you know. Arena football team as a coach, that, that's pretty random. But I think that the, the fact that he got a penalty on the kickoff team is a super random thing, which makes him even extra special. A terrific find by you, Sage. All right, well, I appreciate your time as always. You're going to be on Friday at 420, I believe, with Mackie and Judd with Rami in the afternoon. And, of course, we'll be breaking it down after every single game Monday and Wednesday here on Purple Daily. So, Sage, take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Can't wait. And uh, we'll be right back. We're going to talk with Bobby Peters. He wrote a book about Tennessee's offense last year. 
which was coached by Matt LaFleur. So what can we expect from the Green Bay offense and passing game with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, Bobby Peters, an author uh, and a football coach, is going to break that down for us next when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think the Bears' defense is pretty good. You know, there's those guys up front are very, very talented. Uh, the linebackers talented. So it was a tough test for them. And, uh, you know, bottom line is they won the game. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there. Matthew Collar on Purple Daily here on Score North. Quick reminder before we bring in our next guest. If you enjoy the show and you listen to the podcast version, throw it a little... Maybe a five-star. I would not ever suggest anything less than five, but if you want to give maybe four, I would still say five. Uh, star review on iTunes. If you do that because you like the show, that makes it easier for other people to find the show as well. So do that. Write a review. Uh, talk about how weird uh, the coincidences are with Sage Rosenfels and people he runs into and stuff like that. So make sure you remember to do that. And if you do not have our app, I am told via a company email that many people downloaded the app over the last couple of months. So do that. It's free. So is our website. Everything is free for you. It's wonderful. I know you're welcome. Okay. Next, want to welcome in to talk about this new Green Bay Packers offense, the author of the 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index. Of course, the Titans were operated by Matt LaFleur, current Green Bay Packers head coach. He is a high school coach and an author, Bobby Peters. What's going on, Bobby? How are you? Not much. Not much. I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I am doing really well. I'm excited for this game, Bobby, because I have no idea what to expect from Green Bay's offense. It really wasn't all that effective. And like the Vikings, I think that they kept a lot close to the vest in that first week. So on the the broad picture, how different is Matt LaFleur's offense than Mike McCarthy's? Um, so it's kind of interesting watching the game Thursday night and going back and watching the tape. Um the the Packers still ran some stuff that LaFleur hadn't used in the past that they'd used under McCarthy, but you could definitely tell LaFleur interjected his um his overarching system as well. So it's kind of a blend of the two, which was kinda of neat. And I think um not only are the players trying to figure out how this offense is gonna run, but I think the coaching staff is as well. They're trying to figure out what concepts the players are good at, what their adjustments are gonna be as the season goes on. So there was a storyline in the offseason, and I tend to roll my eyes at these, Bobby, but just about how much uh, control Aaron Rodgers was going to have. And naturally, you would say to yourself, well, why wouldn't you give Aaron Rodgers complete control, the checkout of whatever he wants to check out of? But he was doing that a lot last year and getting himself in trouble and getting receivers confused and everything else. So I think Matt LaFleur's in a little bit of a tough position dealing with someone like Rodgers. So what was your sense after watching the tape in the first game uh, of how much control Rodgers has at the line of scrimmage. So the whole audibling thing, um, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting inflection point because it seemed like in the past Aaron Rodgers almost had full autonomy to, to switch plays you know, from what was called to whatever he wanted almost at any time. And in uh, the Shanahan, LaFleur, McVay system, there's really not much of a need for that since, since the plays kind of have answers built in. Um, one one way the uh, Matt Lafleur in, in the past and uh, you know based on the film from last Thursday is still doing is um, they'll call a run play they'll call their outside zone scheme one way and if 
the defense rolls a safety down or they have an extra player to that side, to the strong side, they'll, they'll what they call can it and run it to the other side, basically. So that's um, a little bit less of a, you know, it's not like Rodgers gets up, he's got a run play, and then he audibles to a pass play. It's, it's kind of different. There's kind of a structure built in. It's, you know, it's either one player or the other. And I definitely picked up on that from last Thursday. There were a few really good examples, um, one specifically being the first offensive play for the Packers in the third quarter. When you were studying last year, when you were going through, because you went through, and uh, it's amazing the work you do here, Bobby, you went through every play and you charted every single play out and did numbers on it for Tennessee's Matt LaFleur offense last year. When you went through that, were you thinking this would be a fit for Aaron Rodgers or was your conclusion that this would be a fit? Because an offense that is being run by Marcus Mariota and run by Aaron Rodgers seems to kind of not really match up in my brain, Bobby. Yeah, so going through going through the plays, I mean, it's it's nothing that Aaron Rodgers couldn't do, and if anything, uh, a lot of the a lot of the ways Matt Lafleur sets up his passing game uh, makes the job easier on the quarterback. Um, you know, those those, type, those are types of things that Aaron Rodgers really hasn't had in the past, and um, you know, like like we talked about earlier, I think Rodgers had a few of his favorite plays that weren't necessarily a part of Matt Lafleur's system last year with the Tennessee Titans, and I think you know, uh, an interesting. Um, collaboration between the two, you, you see, you saw those come through on Thursday night. And I think that's the best way to approach a situation like this, where you got a, you know, you got a future Hall of Fame quarterback and a brand new head coach coming in with a successful system. You're going to want to meld the two to make them work for both parties. You know, it's a little bit weird, Bobby, because I think about what the Vikings have done and how they've talked about. Um, protecting Kirk Cousins and using play action and trying to set him up for you know successful long plays, but the uh, you know underwriting is if you're reading between the lines, we're trying to kind of keep Kirk Cousins uh, away from himself in some ways and not make this too difficult for him. So here's the easier system for him to use. And when you have that about Aaron Rodgers, I can't help but think. Really, right? I mean, this is a guy who's just so gifted that, you know, running the easy play actions and stuff like that to set him up for easy completions, it seems kind of counterintuitive for the talent that he has. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, any quarterback can benefit from that kind of stuff. And I think I think where the edge with the play action stuff comes into play for the Packers is the shot plays down the field. There were two two of the biggest plays for Green Bay last Thursday night were off of hard sell, max protection, play action schemes. One of them being the deep ball to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that got them into uh, got them uh, into the red zone for their first touchdown. And then one when they were backed up, um, backed up on their own goal line to pick up about 20 or 30 yards and kind of flip the field a little bit um, for them later on in the game. So those, those are where Aaron Rodgers – so the, the first one to Marquez Valdez-Scantling was a, uh, basically a three-man flood concept with the outside guy running a post route. And typically that post route's a clear out, and the quarterback just reads high to low on the flood. Now, with, with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, he can see pre-snap and post-snap that that post route had one-on-one coverage with inside leverage. And not all NFL quarterbacks can notice that, and that's the big playability that's available with these kinds of schemes with Aaron Rodgers. Talking with uh, Bobby Peters, he's a high school coach in the Chicago area, also an author, writes about uh, teams' offenses, did a piece on, uh, or did a, a book, I'm sorry, on the 2018 Tennessee Titans passing game that was run by Matt LaFleur. Okay, so let's let's talk about how this works for some of Green Bay's weapons, because we just didn't get a great 
look at it last Thursday, and maybe part of it is not playing a ton in the preseason. Maybe part of it is Chicago's defense was great. Um, but you know, Aaron Jones, to me, is their dynamic weapon who is waiting in the weeds to be a star player. And we just didn't see a lot of him running the football or getting a ton of screen passes, Bobby. But an offense like this, I think it sort of screams a lot of throws to the running back to make big plays. Yeah, so the uh, last year, uh, Matt LaFleur uh, featured his running backs on, uh, like you said, a lot of screen passes, and I think that was evident last Thursday. They had a few a few key first-down pickups on screen passes, as well as um, I, I didn't see so much of this on the film, and I'm sure we'll see it as the season goes on, but running back choice routes out of the backfield. Um, for, for the running backs to get going, the biggest element's going to be the running game, and I think... Um, the, and that's going to come down to the, the ability of the offensive line and tight ends to, to learn this, uh, to, to kind of master the outside zone running scheme. And uh, the Packers' depth, depth chart at tight end does not scream to me a, a unit that can, that can uh, do a real good job of providing that for the running back. So Matt LaFleur and the coaching staff are going to have to kind of figure this, that, that part of it out as they go. Well, and Devontae Adams is a huge part of this, too. And I saw uh, Aaron Nagler, who covered, I think it was him, who covers the Packers. Um, and is so, it's like a big fan, too. So he was like trash talking online and, uh, you know, pointing out that Devontae Adams has had some big games against Xavier Rhodes in the past. And without many big weapons for Green Bay, as you mentioned, they draft Jay Sternberger. He got hurt. And the other receivers are inexperienced. Equinemius St. Brown got injured uh, also and, and so I look at this team Bobby is if they don't find ways to hit Devontae Adams all the time down the field and make plays with him that they're going to struggle so how well is this set up to beat the Vikings using their best wide receiver so I think this uh, getting Devontae Adams involved is going to use elements of LaFleur's pass along with Rodgers pass um, using the isolation, the way the way Mike McCarthy isolated Devontae Adams and kind of cleaned up reads for Rodgers in that sense was if you got a one-on-one here, you're going there. And that's something that Rodgers and Adams have, have excelled at in the past. And then, you know, talking earlier about the, the, the downfield play-action shots, when you, when you can max pro off of, off of a hard-sell play-action, you can typically get Devontae Adams on a safety, um, you know, running down the middle of the field or on a, on a, on a, deep, on a deep inside release corner route as well. So, there's a lot of different ways they can get him downfield, and if they if they feel the need like they've got you know they've got the match up there, they'll attack it. Now let me ask you the important question: Is Rodgers washed? You think? I think he's done. I think he's toast. It's over. Uh, he's de- he well. I would definitely not say that. I would say that he is not the quarterback he was two or three years ago. Um, with that said, I think this you know if if him and Lafleur can get this system figured out and get it to the point where it's maximizing the entire offense, I think he can be. Within that structure, I think he he can be as dangerous as he once was, and you know he still has that playmaking ability, um, you know, outside the pocket as the, as the, as the play's breaking down. But um, I mean, the Bears the Bears defense uh, played outstanding last Thursday, so it's hard it's hard to make any hard drawn conclusions just from that one game about how um, you know Rodgers is going to fare in this system or how the system's going to look because. I mean, to be honest, in you know, four or five weeks, it, it's going to look different anyways, just from the coaching the coaching staff and the quarterbacks, you know, kind of tinkering with with how it's going to look and what works best for them. Okay, that was a good answer to the question, but while you were giving it, I was looking up on thesaurus.com different ways to say Rodgers is washed. So we've got uh, belly up, burned out, cooked, destroyed, done for, wiped out, on the skids, out of business, sunk, totaled, spent. I'll be using those on Sunday, I think, uh, Bobby. <laughs> there, 
There you go. I think if you if you're using those on Sundays, that means the Vikings have a pretty good chance of winning. Yeah, no, I think so. It, I I can't decide whether I'm joking. He really isn't the same quarterback as he used to be. He used to average over nine yards a pass, and now he's at six point eight for this year, just over seven last year. He gets sacked all the time, and I think Bobby, this is the biggest challenge. Sage Rosenfels and I were talking about this last hour. The biggest challenge for Matt Lafleur is can you convince your quarterback to throw it where someone might intercept it? Uh, people used to love Tyrod Taylor because he never threw picks. You're like, this is actually bad because he's never taking any risks at all. And Rodgers last year taking all the sacks, throwing away all the time. I think that is, as a coach, what LaFleur is dealing with here that will be the toughest thing for him is get Aaron Rodgers to actually just throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a real fine line with that, and especially, you know, when you're the coaching when you're the coaching staff, you know, discussing this with Rodgers. I mean, turnovers change football games so when, when Rodgers decides to take that sack you know albeit it might kill a drive but instead of forcing a ball or you know, trying to find his check down too late you know while he's getting hit or something of that nature that could cause a fumble I mean those you know those are those are things that could change it that could change the course of a game and you know taking a sack you know while you're kind of you know punting on that possession literally and figuratively you're you know you're, you're saving yourself big picture down and out down for the count down the drain down the tubes finished all right, uh, we'll work on those. Uh, Bobby, awesome stuff, as always. Uh, the 2018 Tennessee Titans passing index. You've also written about the entire Chicago Bears offense. So let me ask you this before we wrap up here. Uh, Trubisky, bad? Uh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I don't want to do the, the same thing as Rodgers Wash. But is that offense going to continue to cover up for Trubisky, right? I mean, you really loved what Matt Nagy did last year on offense with Trubisky. But I think that they have uh, given every other team an entire year off to look at. I mean, think about how long the Vikings went without playing. Nine months to look at what Matt Nagy did with his offense. And I think defenses are going to figure it out and force Mitch Trubisky to do a lot of things that he might not be capable of and if i'm a bears fan i'm pretty darn concerned about that yeah and i think there's a lot to unpack with this situation right it's weak it was it was week one against an improved packers defense um i don't think i honestly don't think matt nagy did trubisky a lot of favors in that game as well i think um you know from a play design standpoint you know you know i'm sitting there you know watching the game and i got my book next to me and i see them run a concept on a third down or a second down and i'm like i didn't see that last year too often and, you know, I go back to it, and sure enough, they didn't run it at all, or they didn't run it much. So I think Nagy was trying some different things. I don't want to say getting too cute. I think that, that expression's overused when we're discussing coaches and play calling. But um, definitely, he was definitely not adhering to kind of the, you know, the standard operating procedures that he had last year with regard to, you know, situation, situational play calling and, and such. Um, I think part of it, too, is the offensive line. I mean, if you turn on the tape, you got – um, you know, you got you got free rushers coming through the A gap at times, and the Packers showed uh, the mug look, which is six guys on the line of scrimmage. You know, some drop, some blitz. You know, sometimes they bring all six. Um, and I think the offensive line uh, had a hard time picking that up. So I think there, there's there's a lot of blame to go around. I wouldn't put it all on Trubisky, but kind of the same issues we saw in primetime games last year um, kind of kind of peeked their head around the corner again. Uh, you know, with those with those throws that that could potentially be intercepted, that you know, luckily weren't, and then obviously the the game the game ceiling interception late in the fourth quarter that that did him in. 
I checked this thesaurus on just bad. I've got a lot of great ones for this. Abominable might pr- uh, be the right word for Mitch Trubisky in uh, week one in that Bears offense. So anyway, great stuff, uh, Bobby Peters. If I were to type in thesaurus for your work, I'd write awesome, right? Am I right? Okay, just, just shut the show off after that. Uh, anyway, Bobby, you do awesome work. You can follow Bobby on his very strange Twitter handle, which is B underscore Peters 612. No, 12. Well, hey, I forgot it last time. Now you forgot it this time. Well, what is with the underscore, though? Did you make that in like 2001? No, I think I think just B Peters was taken, so I had to I had to throw the uh, underscore. In. All right, fair enough. So B Peters twelve is where you can follow Bobby Peters. Great work. I love the books. I have learned so much about football uh, from your stuff. So I'm looking forward to more. And also, good luck to your squad. How's the team doing? Uh, we're currently one and one. We got a we got a, a key conference matchup this week. So you know we're uh, just about to head out to practice here. And um, yeah. All right, great stuff, Bobby. Well, we'll talk to you again soon, man. Thanks a lot. Always great talking to you, Matthew. There you go, Bobby Peters. Uh, out to pasture someone, uh, Adam adds. I think that's great. So if, if Rodgers... That's a great one. If he continues to struggle, let's say just through this week, we'll say, out, put him out to pasture. He's so who washed. gets to write the headline over at scorenorth.com? Is that going to be it's always a Judd, Judd column? Or the answer is, that is be always Judd. Zolgad <laughs> colon, Rodgers out to pasture. Put Rodgers out to pasture. <laughs> I... It is great when Judd goes all in on a headline like with Jose Barrios the other day. Just like, I would never pay this guy any money. And then he pitches a shutout. Um, it's, it's, it's just great. Judd has the best headlines of anyone I've ever met. So anyway, these uh, Bobby has helped me a ton with understanding football better by reading his books and, and talking with him for, for different articles. So I was glad to have him on. And coming up next, Sam Monson uh, will join us from the PFF offices in Cincinnati. So we will discuss what we saw around the league in uh, week one. And I guess I can ask him what he thinks of this Green Bay Packers defense and whether they'll be able to shut down what the Vikings want to do, especially in the ground game. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Okay, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. Judd Zolgad will pop his head in here for uh, one segment at the end of the show real quick. Uh, that'll come up in about 20 minutes and we'll talk with Zolgad on whether he's buying Green Bay. And I also want to know where last year, now that we've had uh, now that we've had like a, a time, a long time to move on from the Daniel Carlson game last year, sort of how we remember that game. Uh, Judd and I were talking about it outside earlier, so I want to bring that conversation into the radio. But now from Pro Football Focus, joining us here on the show is Sam Monson. What's going on, Sam? How are you? Doing good. How about you? Oh, man. I mean, after nine months of sitting around waiting for real football games, there was a lot of disappointment, and then Monday Night Football really saved me. Like, by the end of Sunday night, it's like, man, I just covered a bad football game in Atlanta, Minnesota. And I get home, Brady Roethlisberger, I'm thinking, this will be great, and it's trash. And then, thank you, Drew Brees, thank you, Deshaun Watson. I felt like my whole weekend was saved by that. 
How could you be upset by Mike Zimmer's perfect game taking place? <laughs> oh, that's like with baseball where they give a game score to a pitcher, right? Like Zimmer gets a, a, a hundred for that one. The perfect game score for Zimmer. What did you think of that, man? Because I just, I didn't have any problem with how they handled it. You get up, your defense is beating the hell out of the other team and you just run the clock out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was this was legitimately exactly what he wants to happen every single game. And that's fine because that's what you should do when that kind of situation unfolds. You know, when you're completely dominant on one side of the ball, when they can't match you, and when you don't need to pass, then sure, yeah, run the ball, cue the clock, end the game, get it all out of there. You just As long as you don't think that that's going to happen every week, because that would be the concern as you go – well, you see, look, establishing the run worked. <laughs> Everything's going great. The defense is dominant, and it doesn't matter that we don't pass the ball. That would be the only concern. But in terms of that game, like it went perfectly. So when is it smart or good or makes sense, aside from when you're up 21 points, to use the running game with the stipulation that Delvin Cook is on your football team? I mean, I know that there are a lot of times where it's not a great idea, but when Delvin can break a 19-yard touchdown at any point and just looks like the special running back he can be, it does make a lot of sense, Sam, to put the football in his hands. Yeah, it does. And I think for the Vikings in particular, it's more about when you shouldn't run than when you should. You know, I think they're they're fine with a, a weapon like Delvin Cook mixing in the run game and just keeping it as part of the offense, but it shouldn't be your default when, you know, you, you have thrown in completion on first down. It's now second and 10. Well, let's hand the ball off and let's try and get some of that back for third and manageable. Like that, that's, that's bad football. That's bad play calling. You shouldn't be doing that. All the numbers speak to that just being a mistake. You're putting yourself in a worse situation overall, but I think, yeah, that Dalvin Cook is so good that, the run game should be a part of this offense and, you know, a reasonable change up from the passing attack. And Sam, this is where it's hard for me to take anything away from week one about how Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak are going to handle situations like you just brought up, because when you're whooping the other team and you're running the clock out, I mean, almost anybody can call that type of game, right? Just hand off, hand off, hand off, and that's it. Um, but when it comes to this Green Bay game, I think it's a close matchup with a vastly improved Green Bay defense that's going to require smart play calling at, at big times, and it's going to require Kirk Cousins to maybe throw 20 passes this week, right? So how much can we learn, and this might be even a broader question from any team in the league, off of week one? Yeah, I think the important thing about week one is not to overreact to whatever happened, whether it was good or bad. You know, the Browns didn't become a disastrous team because they they got down and they kind of sank trying to bring the game back. The Vikings didn't become, you know, a team that was rooted in the 60s because suddenly they were able to run the ball at will. Their defense looked dominant. You know, everything is, is, is to be taken with some kind of pinch of salt and just not overreact too much. I think for the Vikings, the big thing this week is the, the thing that came out of that game for me was, yes, they had real success on offense and, and running the ball. But that offensive line did not grade well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you throw on the tape and you just look at how badly Grady Jarrett in particular was wrecking that unit. There were a lot of plays that were inches from disaster, but Dalvin Cook was able to squeak by and make a play anyway. Now you're going up against Green Bay. That defensive front is a lot nastier than I think Atlanta's is, even if, if Grady Jarrett is the match of any of those Packers defenders. Um, now suddenly all those things are going to stay true. You know, that Vikings line is still going to be um, an issue, but this week it might matter 
So we were watching during training camp this offensive line, and luckily for the Vikings, they largely stayed healthy. Pat Elfline was not practicing today, but that's not a huge difference maker, If and it might be an improvement if he's out, considering how poorly he played last week and the adjustment to guard maybe not going super well, as uh, I think Pro Football Focus would have suggested or hinted at a couple of times throughout the offseason. But, uh, Sam, I mean, you look at Riley Reef at left tackle, it hasn't been good in the past protection in quite some time. Garrett Bradbury, a rookie, has to go up against Grady Jarrett one week, and then this defensive line from Green Bay the next week, and then in two weeks, it's the Chicago Bears and Akeem Hicks. If he plays like that, I mean, they're going to lose games right in the middle, aren't they, with with the way that especially Kirk Cousins does not escape the pocket? Yeah, I think they are. I mean the interior of this offensive line looks like a pretty significant problem. Um, I think the tackles are okay. And at this point, uh, okay is about as, as strong as I'm willing to go. Um, I think they're both, they're both decent and that's probably okay for most games. You're going to run into a Khalil Mack every now and again. And there's pro- you know, there's nothing you can do about that, that you're just overmatched when you come up against a truly elite edge rusher. Um, so at some point the tackles will probably be an issue as well. But those interior guys, A, they look like a problem in every single game, and B, they're in a division where that's a bigger problem than most other divisions because you've got all those players, Kenny Clark, Akeem Hicks, all those guys who are capable of wrecking the best offensive lines in the NFL, let alone guys that struggle. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a real issue, particularly in pass protection. The interesting thing in the run game is because the Vikings are now running so much of this um, wide zone or this outside zone stuff. And Dalvin Cook is so fast and so good at getting through those gaps. They might be able to get away with it for a lot of the time because even though those guys are struggling and they're losing their blocks and they're allowing penetration, they're allowing guys to, to destroy gaps, Dalvin Cook is kind of able to paper over a lot of those cracks. So I think that's going to be the dynamic going forward is, is sort of seeing how much Dalvin Cook is able to um, paper over because he's able to get through that line anyway, um, and how much they 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 shut down the run game by kind of losing at the at the point of attack. Talking with Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. So, how much better is the Green Bay defense on the whole? I had a chance uh, when I lived in Buffalo to cover Mike Pettin, and I remember when he left for Cleveland, everyone was sad because they felt like he was a really good defensive mind. And last year, he inherits a roster with. Clay Matthews is supposed to be one of your stars, and that didn't go super well. But uh, just what they showed against Chicago looked excellent. Was that fool's gold, or is that the Green Bay defense that we're going to see this year? I think it's hard to tell. It's probably a bit of both. Um, I I agree with you. I think Mike Patton is a really good defensive coordinator. I think he does a lot of things that help scheme up uh, pressure and that kind of thing as well. But they also added a lot of talent. You know, Almost all of the talent that they added played well week one, whether it was um, you know, the rookie safety, Darnell Savage, whether it was Preston Smith, whether it was Darius Smith, all those guys look really good. Adrian Amos, of course, had the kind of game ceiling interception. So I, I think the defense played really well week one. Having said that, they were going up against Mitch Trubisky, right. and Trubisky looked worse than ever. So, you know, I think this is going to be a good week to, to understand where that defense is and how much of it was down to Trubisky playing extremely badly in that Chicago offense not really looking like it had an answer. You know, the, the the new wrinkles that they broke out schematically weren't working, and then Trubisky was bad on top of that. So 
the whole thing just kind of fell to pieces. Is there still a uh, Lambeau Field type of aura advantage there? I, I don't know what the advantage is of playing at home, but when I watch the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium, you can see it pretty clearly that quarterbacks can't hear, offensive lines can't hear, and when you have a talented defense and a good defensive play caller, you have an elite quarterback like Matt Ryan looking totally clueless for an entire game. Um, but I, I haven't felt that the times that I have gone and covered games at Lambeau. Is there a way to quantify quantify what the home field advantage is for a team like Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, I think all home field advantages are fairly real. Um, I, there doesn't appear to be that much difference between them when you look at the numbers. There's, you know, there's certainly some that are a little more strong than others. Um, and then, of course, the dome versus outside advantage overall for offenses is real as well. So depending on what kind of team you have, just playing inside is, is a, a benefit or a hindrance. Um, for the Packers, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's kind of, it's a lot to do with game flow. You know, if they get up and suddenly the crowd is energized and they're into it and they start to bring the noise, that's how they can really affect, um, this Minnesota offense. But realistically, this offense is actually suited reasonably well to playing outdoors because they do want to establish mm-hmm. the run. Yeah. They are a kind of speed team when it comes to guys like Dalvin Cook and trying to navigate um, you know, that kind, those kind of conditions. And they don't want to, you know, constantly air the ball out where any kind of wind or, or ugly conditions for passing would be a problem. They're able to, to kind of be efficient enough that that's not what they want to lean on. So, yeah, I think I don't, there's nothing about Lambeau Field that should inherently terrify the Vikings other than the fact that it is um, traveling on the road and going outdoors where you're not necessarily used to it. Obviously, you play more inside. Are you thinking at this moment uh, after one week, so overreact here. I, I know you said don't take too much away, but do that anyway. Um, just in terms of the NFC North, like toss-up, Bears behind, Lions, what the hell, the other day. Uh, but that's usual for Matt Patricia. So, I mean, after after one week, I don't feel like I know any of these teams really well. No, I honestly think that's going to be the story for pretty much this entire season. I think this division is one of the closest in the league. Heading into the heading into the, uh, the season, it felt to me like three fourth race in the Vikings, the Packers, and the Bears, and we were going to see which one of them ended up getting it. The Lions always felt a little step behind the other ones, and after Week One, I'm honestly not sure that anything has really changed. I think the Chicago, we saw enough positives out of Chicago in that first game, even if the offense stank, to say that this was still a good team and they're still going to be in all games. And they're still going to be contending towards the end of the year. Um, we saw enough bad from Green Bay to say that, well, everything's not solved in an offseason. And then, obviously, the Vikings probably looked the best of all the, the teams. But, you know, we just highlighted the problems of their offensive line. And, you know, so much of that was just the Falcons were terrible. Um, so I really think we're back to, to square one. We are where we thought we were, which is three pretty good teams that, that are going to fight it out. And the Lions remain something of an enigma okay last thing for you sam one thing i'm working on uh for this season is turbo snark okay so the, we all are a little <laughs> we're all a little snarky right but like uh, jonathan our producer is a huge fast and the furious fan uh so i was thinking like all right you hit the turbo snark button and really whether it's even deserved or not you just take it to 11 so i'll give you an example 
oh, well, Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball, huh? You guess you should definitely draft Josh Allen over him because he definitely can't throw the ball. Looked like he threw it pretty good to me, but, you know, draft Josh Allen. That's a good idea. So that's my turbo snark. I want you to give me a little week one turbo snark. Oh, week one was full of it because everybody's looking for confirmation bias in week one. <laughs> yes. Everything you thought happened before, you jump on the immediate bit of evidence and you say, all right, proved it. So the thing that I was getting all week one was, ah, oh, looks like you guys crowned Baker Mayfield a little bit early. You know, mm-hmm. he sucks. Fools. So, yeah, that's my timeline was full of people, like, talking about how bad Baker was. That's turbo snark. Love it. <laughs> All right, Sam. Uh, well, let's do it again soon, man. Great stuff. Uh, I want to remind our audience before I let you go that uh, they should go to pff.com, get the premium stats and analysis, use the promo code RADIO, R-A-D-I-O, to get 25% off your Elite subscription today. So thanks a lot, Sam. We'll do it again soon, man. Anytime. Take it easy. Yep, you too. I love the Turbo Snark. And it, you could almost go game by game for this week for Turbo Snark. But um, the other one I had was, oh, I guess Bruce Arians really fixed Jameis Winston. Great work, Bruce. Your quarterback genius. You only coached Peyton Manning. Guess that was tough. Really hard break. Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Write another book about how genius you are about quarterbacks. Winston, three picks, a QBR, which is one to 100, of eight. Yeah. Eight. Mm. Worst of the league. Totally fixed. That's got to be a Monday feature, right? Turbo Snark? I think it's just all the time. Or Tuesday, since that's all the games. Whenever I feel like it. Okay. That's how we're doing it. Just whenever I feel like Turbo Snarking. It might just come out of nowhere, like right now. I mean, Jameis Winston. Give me any quarterback before him. He's a dirtbag, and he's a terrible leader. He does the eat the W thing. And I love somebody tweeted that video because people were... Like, everyone in the huddle is looking at him like, this guy's a psycho. Which I think he is. Yeah. And he throws tons of picks. He always has. He led the NCAA in picks. And they're like, no, he's a genius. He's unbelievable. He's a great person. Like, it's just awful. Who says he's a great person? Nobody. Come on. Nobody. It's turbo snark. I told you. It doesn't have to even be accurate. (laughs) That's the point. But Winston, I think, is trash. I don't think he's ever been good. Like his entire career, it's lots of interceptions and lots of people saying, oh, no, guys, you don't understand. He's so talented. After five years of this, and he's had different offensive coordinators, he keeps getting people fired because he's bad. He gets himself suspended, and then when he comes back, throws a bunch of interceptions and doesn't win anything. And yet we're still sitting here going, oh, no, 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 if they hire this guy. See, he coached Carson Palmer, so didn't he they, must be a genius. Didn't they get rid of their head coach after his rookie season because they wanted to keep the Dirk, offensive Dirk coordinator? Cutter. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, he's just getting people fired left and right. But sure, great idea. Stick with him. Um they're they're like a they're a team that has a lot of talent that if they got rid of Jameis Winston, which they absolutely should, why would you ever pay someone who cannot? I was gonna say there's no way they're paying the in this offseason. Yeah, they? even even if he has a great season after this, off the field, he's a yeah. bus fire. So why would you ever trust him with lots of money? I wouldn't. <laughs> and so if they get rid of Jameis Winston, think of the team that someone good could inherit. So the yeah. kid from Oregon, Justin Herbert, or uh, Tua Tugaviola, if Miami isn't going to take him number one, they will. But, I mean, if you draft the quarterback second or Although, third off the the rack... Miami well, could pass on him just for oh, the Oh, that's right, for Trevor Lawrence next, yeah. next year. And then 
at Tua in Tampa Bay with a really good team around him. They have good yeah. receivers, a good tight end. They've got good defensive players that they've drafted, or at least a lot of talent that they've drafted uh, over the years on the defensive side. I mean, it's a great situation. I even and if you have a turns pretty decent around, coach coming in there. Yeah, there's there's no reason you can get a good good enough quarterback for Bruce him. Arians. Yeah. Yep. Get rid of him. He sucks. All right, uh, Judd Zolgad coming up next. See, that's Turbo Snark, and I think we're gonna we're gonna ramp up the um, Fast and the Furious sound with that at some point, right? Yeah. So we can get the all right. Take your time. <laughs> we can do it. Out of the, we move the I can be Hold snarky on. next segment too. Yeah, let's do that. Let me find it quick and then. <laughs> As if uh, I'm bringing in someone for the next segment, Judd Zolgad, <laughs> who could never manage some snark. All right, so we'll be right back, and I want to talk to Judd. Um, one year later, week two, it was one of the weirdest games I've ever covered in my life, and uh, probably the same for Judd. So we're going to discuss what happened last year with the Packers and Vikings. When we come back, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download, and according to our own Judd Zolgat over at scorenorth.com, it seems like the home run record, there's a bit of a race for it now, and a 12-11 to loss to Detroit last night. The Yankees hit six home runs. That sixth one topped them over the Twins for the first time in a very long time this season. But this home run by Mitch Garver. A high blast to left field. Garver has done it again. Tied up that race at 276 home runs. The Twins have a bit of an edge going forward over the final remaining games. They have two games in hand. Minnesota has 18. Yankees have 16. And the ERAs the Twins will face going forward. Staff ERAs of 494, 514, and 525 going forward for the Twins. Let us know how much this record means to you, Twins fans, over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. The countdown to the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon Weekend is on. If you're not running, be one of the 4,000 volunteers who will make this annual community jewel sparkle. Whether you help at the expo or on the course or at the finish line, you'll find your efforts satisfying and appreciated. Visit tcmevents.org forward slash volunteer to learn more and sign up. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right. Yes, we are back as soon as I turn on the microphone. Judd Zolgad right is uh, in here. And Judd, have you heard about uh, Turbo Snark? I, you know, you were formulating it with Jonathan a couple days ago when I was yeah. in, but it had not reached its full status. I, I have a feeling it's evolved. Yeah, it has. Okay, um, so let's hear it. So now, well, basically, just any time. Are we ready on that? Do we have uh, Do we have Turbo almost. Snark ready? I mean, almost. One <laughs> okay. Just whenever you're ready, almost. just ramp it up because I'll just I'll just go. Uh, well, I was mentioning this to Sam Monson that after one week in the NFL, everybody on Twitter likes to decide that they were right about the entire offseason pertaining to whatever. Mm -hmm. So Sam said that he's been getting a bunch of tweets like, oh, you guys anointed Baker Mayfield, the the greatest quarterback ever, and he lost the football game, right? So I uh, used my turbo snark up on Jameis Winston, who is a dirtbag and really bad at quarterback, and I'd take anyone over him. I'd take Gardner Minshew. I'd never heard of him before. Uh, Sunday, but he looks like he should be a dad who's golfing, and I love him. Does he look, <laughs> in all candidness, does Gardner look more like a dad who should be golfing or, or a guy who's about to go to an audition to be a porn star? Uh, okay, well, you went there. Um, I Come would on, he looks there, like there it. There are other options that you could go to that are a little more safe for work, which would be like I'm fix, not just... fix your plumbing. 
that sort of thing. Uh, for Wait a second. That sounds, that sounds just, a, okay. that sounds just as right. bad, Matthew. Yeah. All right. This has gotten off to uh, a very bad start here. Okay. Well, anyway, let's talk about last year. So you and I are driving to Lambeau Field last year. We're going through the woods and uh, going by all the farmland and the cows and the great cheese curds and everything else of Wisconsin. And we have to stop for gas. And we pull into a gas station. And there sits Cheesehead hats and other sort of Wisconsin type of gear. Yes. And you put on the cheesehead hat, and I took a picture of you and tweeted it. And yeah. at that moment, we should have known something messed up was going to happen on Sunday. That's my. Was that what yeah, we should have known? That was the sign. As soon I as I bought Spotted Cow as well, which as was fantastic. As soon as you put on that cheesehead hat, something weird was going to go down. <laughs> I knew it at that moment. Never thought of it that way. And then when we got there, it was weird from kind of the very start. Like uh, Aaron Rodgers was hurt and was kind of hobbling around, but the Vikings defense looked off. And Mackenzie Alexander, who had a great second half of the season, had no idea what he was doing in that game. Mm-hmm. They get way behind. We think, well, this is going to be awful. This is going to be a blowout. And then all hell breaks loose. Clay Matthews has the softest tackle I've seen in NFL history and gets flagged for it as Kirk throws a game-losing interception, so that gets washed out. Yep. He has an amazing throw to Adam Thielen, one of the best throws, I think, in the entire NFL last year. The Packers have several opportunities to put the game away, but their very reliable and good kicker, Shanks. What did he miss from? Did he miss from 50 near the end of the fir- remember one the, of the... The first half. Um, Aaron Rodgers made a couple of great throws against yep. the Vikings defense and set up a long field goal. And then uh, he, Crosby missed. And then at the end of the game, Crosby missed again to potentially win that one. And then, of course, the Daniel Carlson thing. And it was just super weird. I think it was one of the stranger games I've ever covered, Judd. Yeah, it was. And... They, now, the, the Matthews penalty that you talked about also, what made it so interesting to me off that one was a month later wouldn't have been a penalty, and so the interception would have held up. But yet Kirk did come back and and um, statistically, I think, put together his best passing yardage game of the season. The one thing, though, and, and I told you this before your show started, Matthew, is I really thought that that game, the first uh, four games in particular, but I really thought that Green Bay game was instructive as to where things were going because... The defense didn't play great. They got behind. The run-to-pass ratio went absolutely, as far as the Vikings are concerned, way out of control. I'm sure Mike was not pleased. And so that was sort of, in in retrospect, when you look at that game now, that was sort of the first indication of, ooh, this is interesting. Not in a good way. Uh, so that there were lots of weird things. And it was impressive that Cousins brought the team back. But nonetheless, if you were to ask Zim right now, if you were to go to Zim and say, okay, Mike, you can have the same thing and you win 31-29, I think you'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. I'd like to win 17-14, <laughs> Matthew. Right? Yeah, well, I don't want to win 31-20. to 20. I'd like to win. If we score 17 and they score 14, I'm a happy camper. So I don't think that things looked like there was um, anything amiss until we got to the Jets game that was maybe week five or week six, and then Zimmer called out Filippo after the game for not running enough. And he was totally right, by the way. When you are whooping the other team in the run game and their quarterbacks throwing picks and, and the Jets were not coming back, why are you passing that often? I mean, this game against Atlanta... Analytics people don't say never run. They say when you're up 21 points, yeah, run. Kill that clock. Get first downs, especially if you're getting five yards of carry. Do that. The way that I looked at it, 
in terms of, boy, there could be some problems here, was the first half of that game where this really not good or impressive or stout, if you will, Packers defense was able to slow down the Vikings for that entire first half. They scored seven points. Laquan Treadwell scored a touchdown, which tells you about how Only good, touched on Icon. That tells That's you about Viking. how bad the Packers defense was. Yes. Laquan Treadwell scored his only career touchdown against you. He has not been picked up by anyone, by the way. So Vince McMahon, good luck with Laquan Treadwell in the XFL. Uh, but but right there, they looked like they were sort of out of sorts and not on the same page. There were several times where Kirk Cousins threw it where no one was. Yes, and, and it was like, but that, but that okay, was not a weird. In in retrospect, very clearly after the year, if you went back to that game, that was in no way, shape, or form the type of game they wanted. True. Yeah, that but was my I, point. I like, was, like they came think, back. It was impressive. Cousins was impressive, but that was not the they. That to me is a ripcord last resort Zimmer game. Yeah. If we have to, we will. But I don't like it. And it was, but it was dictated entirely by the score, which could still happen. I mean, if their defense isn't playing like they did against Matt Ryan and the Falcons every single week, then there are going to be games where Kirk Cousins has to do this. How many of those games do you think there can be? Well, okay, that's a great question for this. To be okay because Judd, I ran the numbers and I gave them to Sage Rosenfels earlier. Okay, that Cousins, when his defense allows 21 points or more, is 12, 33, and 2 in his career. So Thank that's you. a 25% winning percentage. That sounds like a column to me. So I would guess that <laughs> sounds like a Matthew Collar scorenorth.com column. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a great, that's a great stat because there the record matters. Maybe it could be four. Maybe if you win one out of four and all the rest of the games are wow. defensive battles, that's what you're going to need. Interesting stuff. Thank snark. You. I Thank want more snark. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll ramp up the turbo turbo snark. Turbo snark. Turbo snark. But don't <laughs> worry. It's a long season. Plenty of time. <laughs> Mackie and Judd with Rami are coming up next. You're listening to uh, Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 